Hey, welcome to the Conventional Sniper Podcast. This is episode 17. I'm your host and sniper, Justin Coletti. Tonight, uh, I have my buddy Nick on, so Nick will be our spotter. Nick, welcome to the podcast, dude. Hi, good evening, guys. That was so corny. You could have yeah. just, hey. <laughs> just said, hey, thanks for having me, bud, yeah. but it's okay. Yeah, I'm no happy worries. to be here. <laughs> um, yes, we'll get more into you later, but hey, welcome to the podcast, dude. Uh, quick S2 brief. Hey, look, so Nick is only going to be known as Nick on here. And there's a reason for that. And some of you guys have said to me, hey, we need to do video. You need to have video. We want to see the podcast, see your face, and put it up on YouTube and do the clips. Some of the guys in these podcasts don't want to be talked about. They don't want to be known what they look like. And in the world of social media, no cameras and a microphone can save your butt sometimes, especially when they're operational. And that's why some of this podcast exists uh, without a video so we can do these type of conversations that we'll hopefully get into here soon. So, um yeah, so those of you who bought the scope covers, we got a bunch of orders in the other day. We are processing them as fast as we can, I promise you. Um, also, if you've been following the podcast for a while, you know that we have a discount code for the uh, Osaka Apparel uh, clothing line and those guys over there. Make sure you head over to their website, osakaapparel.com, and you can use the discount code SNIPERPODCAST, all one word. Get yourself 10% off, get some sweet swag, show them that you're a dope bolt gunner and uh, you're there to stack bodies. Um, also, if you guys follow the other, I guess I, I would say our sister podcast a little bit, um, the Snake Pit podcast, I'll be with those guys at the end of the month. We're, from what I understand, doing a pretty dope joint podcast, so we'll be doing that. Um, <clears throat> continuing with the S2 Brief, those that uh, are tracking the National Guard sniper competition happened this month. Um, you know, 70 competitors, 35 teams, six teams with high honors. And uh, congratulations to the Colorado National Guard team for placing first overall. Right, Nick? They placed first overall? Yeah, I believe that's what I read. Yeah, so first overall. Hey, if you're part of the National Guard team or you know those dudes, have them get a hold of us here at the podcast, and we'll hook them up with some sweet scope covers for their their guns. Um, so, yeah, let's get into it. Nick, without further ado, welcome again. Yep, good to be here. T- tell me about yourself. Where'd you come from? What'd you do? How'd you get in the Army? Give us the... The corny 411, man. Okay. Uh, so I grew up in the Carolinas. Um, and then right around the 2010-ish era, uh, moved up to beautiful New Hampshire. Uh, met my wife here. I worked here for a while. Um, and then I joined the Army. I joined the Army a little bit late. Uh, I had my 22nd birthday at Fort Benning. Um, but yeah, it's been a good ride since then. What, yeah. what, oh, we're going to get into that, dude. Yeah, why did so, you join the Army? Yeah, why, why did I join the Army? Um, I remember being around like six or seven years old, and my grandfather's best friend uh, helping me build wooden guns. And then I would jump off the dock at the lake with these wooden guns, pretend I was a Navy SEAL. Yeah, I'm glad that, I'm glad that <laughs> dude, didn't we work all, out. Dude, we all make mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that didn't work out. Yeah, I, I'm, you've never told me that. Yeah, that's no, hilarious. I, yeah, that's a true story. Uh, so, I had a wooden Tommy gun. Um, Did it shoot rubber bands or is it just straight up? No, it was just furniture wood. That's a one-to-one scale Tommy gun. I can only imagine how many imaginary Germans died in in the beaches of the the lake house. Um, So I I remember I got to know you because you worked at a gun store before you joined the Army. Yeah, I did. And I would walk in there all the time and you seemed like the only competent one that was in there. And you seemed like a cool dude. And I remember being like, hey, bro, you're pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Hang out. And you're like, oh, I don't know, you sound kind of weird. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, but do you want to hang out? It's cool, right? And you're like, all right, I guess we'll hang out. Next thing I know, I'm like, I, I think I had just graduated sniper school or something like that, or I was like halfway through my career at some point. When did you, you join the Army? 
Uh, I joined the army in 2016. All right, so yeah, yeah. 20. Wow, you joined in 2016. Yeah, dude, I, I was at the tail end of my career. That's great. Oh yeah. All right, we're gonna say okay. this is a cool part of the podcast. All right, so you joined the army. Yeah. Right. And what did you join as? An 18 X-ray. Okay. Yeah. And what for those of the guys that don't know, what is an 18 X-ray? So that's the SF baby program. So you basically come out off the street, and you start a pipeline to become a Green Beret. Okay. And, and what are some of the things that you go through in order to get to uh, this pipeline? So you'll do uh, infantry, OSIT, to airborne. Then you do prep course, or uh, SF. It's a preparatory course. Yeah, yeah. prep course. And then uh, you'll, you'll go into SFAS. And Which then is the, the selection. Course. Yeah. Yeah. So I got that nipped in the bud for me. <laughs> so explain what happened. Yeah, so I got 41 clubbed over airborne school. Which is and a thing. It is a not, thing. Yeah. It's some, and our, you guys know, if you listen to the podcast, uh, Rob has been on here a couple of times as a guest and as also my former sniper section sergeant. He, little known fact, uh, he was actually a black hat. He was an airborne instructor. And to this day, dude, he swears there's no such thing as the 41 Club. Yeah, no, they dropped like, I want to say around 200 people, 170 from my class. Uh, every single Marine that was there, that was pretty funny, actually. Every single one <laughs> was dropped. Um, but yeah, I did 35 push-ups, and then the next day I did 35 push-ups again. I uh, went over to the hold company, and it was like that weekend. You came well, out, what's, right? what's, what's a 41 club? Let's start there. So for the PT test at Airborne School, you got to do at least 42 push-ups, and then you do 42, and you get up, and you pass. Uh, when you do like 35, 36, whatever, and they have a lot of people in that class, they can only take 400. Uh, they'll just count off like 38, 38, 38, or 41, 41, 41. Gotcha. So you, no matter how per- creative a perfect push-up you do, you can't get past it. Yeah. Yeah. Much. Okay. All right. So uh, at the time, Sandoval and I, who's been on the podcast here before, I think the last episode 16, we did one with, I did one again with Sandoval. It's one of my best friends. Um, him and I came down there for the All-Army all Marksmanship Championship, and I remember you saying, oh, I'm in airport school in the hold. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we've got to go see Nick, local New Hampshire dude. We go kick it with him. And I remember we went over to the Betting Brew Club, actually, in the Gov van. Yeah, I remember <laughs> you guys rolled up in a Govey with, like, an unloaded M9 and some casings and empties rolling around on the floor. <laughs> like, hi, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're is, talking about. This is sorry first class, whoever, and this is master sergeant, whoever. And I'm like a little scared private that just got dropped from Airborne. I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what gov that was. I can neither confirm nor deny. It was a long time ago. My memory's really shot. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so I remember you were like, oh, I got, I got failed Airborne school. And you're kind of telling us. what yeah. I, I want you to tell this, but what advice did we give you? Okay, so you guys were like, oh, they do walk-ons all the time. So just find out what company is doing a PT test and picking up next. Just go over there and do a walk-on. I'm like... Okay, that's a great idea. <laughs> and I was in Bravo, and then ACO picked up on Monday, and we were hanging out over the weekend. So I told the staff duty NCO that's what I was going to do. And he's like, hell no, you're not going to do that. And I'm like, ah, Roger. And then I went and did it anyways. <laughs> and I, I remember telling you this because I was like, dude, if I was a first start, and I saw some dude get 31 club and he came back, or 38, whatever it is, yeah, came back the next class like, no. I'm here to go to airborne school, not because you guys are full, because I didn't fail it because I couldn't do the push-ups. I failed it because you were full and couldn't take me. I'm here to go. 
but I guess the Army's changed because back in my day, like 08 or 09, be like, hell yeah, dude, get in the dang online. You better do like a thousand push-ups to make it, but you're going to yeah. make it, you know? Yeah, the first sergeant got into me pretty well. Um, and then they, they put me in a T-11. Which is? It's uh, the parachute that you jump with at school. And they sent me back over to the holdover company. And there's these metal cables that you have to stand in for formation on the rocks. And it's like gravel rocks and they made me sweep rocks till about lunchtime while wearing a parachute harness. yeah while wearing a parachute harness did you have like a parachute and, and a reserve on no it was just the the ruck between my legs and <laughs> you can tell i'm not airborne um and then right just around the lunchtime i went over to a, a shed and you can tell i was like nervous as hell and freaking out and um i stood there for like another four hours while uh there were ncos there for Jump master school, and they were doing JMPIs on me. Me and, like, three other guys for hours. So you just literally stood in a, a parachute harness with a ruck. Yeah. All because we said go walk on. Yeah, go do a PT test. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Roger Sarr. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably, like, to this day I tell that story, and guys are like, he really did that? I'm like, yeah, dude. He really did that. And they're like, wait, you really told him that? I'm like, yeah. What would you have done? And like, I guess, I guess I'd have done the same thing. Yeah. He's like, yeah, man. Kid's brand new. He's eager. Like, let him, let him get there. And that's the thing about the Army, I think, and probably you were too young to kind of figure it out in the Army. Like, if you told that first time, like, hey, because I imagine he's like, what the hell are you doing here? Why are you doing this? We have so many slots. Yeah. And you're like, hey, now I no, know man, that, I'm, like, I'm here to do this. I could have just stood up and say, hey, what the hell? I want another grader right now. Yeah. And it would yeah. happen. And as soon as you say, hey, new grader, new grader, and, and said, hey, I want a new grader, you're 41 yeah. clubbing me, they'll, the guy would be like, hey, all right, all right, all right got it. So, that's probably one of the cool stories, but it gets worse, right? Yeah, it does. Uh, man, I haven't thought about this in a while. I remember this vividly because it's the coolest story ever, but go ahead. So at, <clears throat> at the holdover company, we had this shit bag, uh, Sergeant First Class, it was in charge of us all, and uh, I got my orders to reclass. The Army was forcing me to reclass. Because you had failed the pipeline. Yeah, I failed 18, 18 series pipeline. Um, and that's because and, you got 41 clubbed. Yeah, yeah airborne. But um, yeah, he, he handed me three sets of orders. And like two of them were for 12 November and one was for 12 Bravo. And then so the, 12 November and 12 Bravo are different jobs. Yeah. So that's like 12 November is, uh, I think it's like construction, heavy equipment operator. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is combat engineer. Okay. Um, for the heavy equipment operator, one had me reporting a month late, and one had me about a month early. And then he just said, call a taxi and get to the Columbus airport. And I'm like, thinking in my head, okay, this is how the Army is, so I'm just going to go do it. <laughs> you know, right now there's going to be an NCO listening to this, like, hell yeah, dude gets his marching orders and just goes. So yeah. That's honestly no bullshit. The Army used to be privates, like, full of dudes like that. Like, hey, it said report here. I did that. Yeah. And I fought to the death in that foxhole. Because I, I was told to hold the bridge. I killed everyone that came to the bridge. And they're like, oh, yeah, we don't need to babysit this bridge. Wrong bridge. You know? Yeah. Like, those days. And honestly, I, I know you look down at yourself like, oh, I'm such an idiot. But I think the Army needs more dudes like that. Because, I mean, you're Bravo 4 qualified. You are a sniper. And that's why your face isn't up on YouTube right now. That's why we're keeping it without a video. But it shows that, hey, like, if you really are, are truly set on doing something and becoming a sniper, dude, you don't. 
you get your marching orders, you dang on do it. Yeah, before I left bidding, actually, I drove over to sniper school and took a picture of the sign, and I made a middle note. I was like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna come back here at some point, and yeah, through sheer determination and some luck, yeah, from hookups. And, some lu- and some luck. So I remember, like later on in my career in the army, I had let's say four hard slots that ended up going away for some reason or another. It was always battalion training. That's the reason. That it took away your sniper Well, actually, the, the, the first one, uh, the class got canceled. Oh, because of budgets? Every, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were right, running two so, classes. But. So to come back, right? Yeah. So you get these orders. You're going to go to Fort Leonardwood or someplace else, yeah. right? So okay. I, I showed up at Leonardwood, and my ERB said 19 Delta. <laughs> and I had three different sets of orders, and then... I had a graduation certificate for infantry. So you're like, already a qualified 11 Bravo. Yeah. But you've like, got three sets of orders for three different AITs. Yep. Oh, the third the third AIT is, is Cap Scout 18 or 19 Delta? No, no, I didn't even have orders for that. It just said it on my ear B. Huh. So okay. like Big Army decided they were going to make me a Cap Scout. But then I had orders to go become an engineer. And I showed up at Leonard Wood, and I was there for about a week. And just did, like, PT, because they didn't know what to do with me. Uh, and then they got me They got me on a bus back to Benning. Oh, they put you on a bus? Yeah. <laughs> so so you, I flew you there. Flew, you yeah. flew there, and they put you on a bus. I flew there, and looking back on it, I could have gone AWOL for, like, a long time. Because nobody had any... I showed up, they thought I was a lieutenant. <laughs> they had no idea I was going there. And, you know, if I was... And what rank were you? I was an E1. Oh, man. You were straight <laughs> fuzzy, dude. Yeah, it was. Okay, keep yeah, going. It was a fuzzy. Uh, I, got, I go back to bedding, and I, I fall asleep on the staff duty desk. They just put me there for the night. They didn't know what to do with me over at Harmony Church. They find a company to put me in. They're like, okay. And I remember the senior drill being terrified of me because nobody's going to believe that story. Nobody. <laughs> and he's like, you're a private? He's like, I know you're a fucking lieutenant. He's like, listen, I've been to jail. I know if you're CID, you have to tell me. He's like, are you CID? I'm like, no, Joe Sart. <laughs> He's like, I'm just fucking guy, tell me. I'm just a guy that's lost in the sauce. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. And then I, uh, I graduated Cav Scout and went to my first unit. And what happened there? So you, you went to two AITs, technically. You went yeah, to infantry. Yeah. You got sent to random schools at Fort Leonardwood. Yep. They determined that they don't have a slot for you in the school. And they send you back to Fort Benning. And Fort Benning is like, well, we'll just stick you in something because we don't know what to do with you. So you get reclassed to 19 Delta. Yeah. So you're, you're an E1 and at, and at that much, how much time did you have in? Like, what, five months? Six months in the yeah, Army? probably about six months. And you have an two MO, and you're two MOS qualified. Yeah. You've gone, you failed airborne school and gone, gotten three, well, I guess technically four different sets of orders. Infantry, combat engineer, heavy equipment specialist, and CAV scout. Yep. And you've done JMPI for hours on end, thanks to myself yeah. and Sandoval. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you get so you get orders after 19 Delta to go where? Uh, over to Fort Riley, Fort Riley, Kansas. And what happens when you show up to Fort Riley, Kansas? Uh, they they didn't know what to do with me either. They weren't even tracking that I was showing up. I didn't have a sponsor or anything like that. Um, eventually, I get a brigade and worked a deal. Brigades are major. If I did, did you did you get a call from someone? I did. I want to pull some credit here for this yeah, because this is the coolest story ever. I got a call from you, 
and then I talked to uh, someone in a unit I didn't end up going to, but the two of you vouched for me. Who's the two of you? Because you only said, you got a call from me. I got a call from you, and then uh, another gentleman who's retired now. You can say Rob. That's okay, fine. yeah, yeah. Rob. Rob's been on the podcast. Yeah. He's, he's got a dad bod, smokes a lot of pot. It's cool. Yeah. But he shoots guns <laughs> like a motherfucker, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Um, so yeah, we, the, we called you. The two of you vouched for me, and I went over and met with a sniper from my battalion. Uh, it was just him and uh, one other NCO who were Bravo 4 at the mm-hmm. time. And I fell in with them. <clears throat> so basically, then, you got you skipped everything as a brand new private because two snipers vouched for you. Yeah, two two snipers vouched for me, and I did an interview, and then I fell in with them for about a week, and then did tryouts with them. And uh, so my brigade CSM was like, "Listen, if you pass tryouts, you're going to get your MOS switched back over to the Bravo." Standard, because Cav Cats sucks. Yeah, otherwise it was going to be stuck in the <laughs> in the scout platoon. Uh, Which, by the way, scout platoons in mechanized battalions, you don't get to try out for them. You're slotted. It's an MTO slot. Yeah. I mean, technically snipers are MTO slots as well, but you have to try out to get into that slot. You sure do. 19 Delta slots are not hand-selected guys. They're not. And actually, I recently saw a thing, I don't know where it came up from. Uh, nice beverage. A little high pressure. Yeah, a little nice beverage check underneath the table, guy. Um... Is that on the floor now? No, it's not. As I say, if it's on the floor, it's a party foul. You better chug. Anyway, uh, if if I, last I heard, and this was as of today, I heard from uh, my buddy Howell. Okay. Uh, who's over in Germany in JMRC. And hopefully we'll have him on the podcast later. That guy has a really impressive shooting resume. Yeah. Like gold winner, uh, gold medal winner for pistol and AMU presence. He's, he's like one yeah, of the... he's got the longest tab. Yeah, he's got, he's got a President's 100s tab. I think yeah. he won President's 100 for both rifle and pistol, which I get, and he's also That's distinguished, awesome. which is pretty hard to do. And he was actually at Sniper School, and I'll get a crazy story about him at some point, okay. um, about how the stars aligning and truly being, like, I'm made to be a sniper because of, and I don't know if you believe in anything crazy, like God does weird specific things to you, or like things happen for a reason, because, like, I was born, no bullshit, to meet Howell. Because it turns out his grandfather, my grandfather, served in the same battalion in World War II in the Pacific. That's awesome. And while we were at sniper school, a chick that I went to high school with literally called me up out of nowhere, said she had gone to a median. And I swear to God, this is no bullshit. She, we have like the weirdest stories. That's how I know I was meant to be in this community, right? So I get a call from this chick that I went to high school with. I haven't talked to her in five years. She calls me out of nowhere, says, hey, I've talked to a median last night. She says, two guys are looking over you... Um, in green uniforms, they said you're going to be okay tomorrow. Yeah, are you? She's like, are you at a shooting school or something in, in down south? And I'm like, how the <laughs> fuck do you know this? And I haven't talked to you in five years. No yeah. bullshit, right? I went. I graduated high school in like 2008. I'm in sniper school in 2014, and I hadn't talked to her at some point between there. I I didn't even know how she got my number because I had changed numbers after high school. So I don't. That's crazy. Yeah. So the next day is record fire one. And I'm sweating bullets on it. And I pass. It's a heartbreaker. Right? It, it is, dude. <laughs> Record fire one's a heartbreaker. So I pass, right? I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm going to graduate sniper school. Because I had like a... Our, our record fire one got moved to the, the last week of school. So you went through the entire course. And if you failed record fire one on, on, you know, the last week of school, week seven, you're done. And that was, I think, more of a heartbreaker that you went through the entire school and then failed instead of at the beginning yeah. you failed, right? Which... I mean, it's good you get the training, but it sucks if you fail. So I passed, right? I didn't know that Howell, Howell's grandfather and my grandfather were in the same battalion 
in New Guinea in World War II. After I got to sniper school, I found my grandfather's DD-214. He was a private, got the Bronze Star with Valor for some stuff that happened in New Guinea. I can't find the citation, but it's on his DD-214. And literally at the end, bottom cool fact on his DD-214 is he went AWOL at some point before he either went to New Guinea or came back. And before he got discharged, they made him recuperate the time that he went AWOL. So he couldn't get discharged from the, or from the Army because he was an engineer. He couldn't get discharged from the Army until he made up the time that he was AWOL. So he had to stay like an extra 45 days in the Army. <laughs> and they just tacked it on the end of his contract, which would be smart in my opinion these days. Like, hey, man, you went AWOL for six months? Do another six months, buddy. Sucks to <laughs> suck. Right? So, uh, and to make it even crazier, Howell ends up going over to uh, Poland. And they do a staff ride. He's, he ends up as the operations sergeant major for first ID deployed forward to Poland. Yep. And so they go uh, to, to Germany or whatever, and they're going, touring through the Battle of the Bulge area, and they say that the last American soldier to be found has my last name. And so Howell calls me. He's like, hey, I'm standing in your family's foxhole when they got overrun in the initial push in the Battle of the Bulge with the Germans. And I'm like, dude, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a family member that was in World War II in the European theater. He goes, no, seriously, I'm standing in your family's foxhole. And so I go down and look up the national records in Arlington National Cemetery. He's like my fifth cousin somewhere down the line on the Cluddy side that my family didn't really know. Probably like a, a, a bastard child that got connected somehow. Yeah. But my like my like essentially my fifth cousin or something like that, same last name, ended up getting killed in the foxhole. They never found his body until in 2008. Ironically, same month I joined the Army. It's the same year you joined. And it's the same year I joined. And I was like, all right, I fucking get it now. voodoo here. Whatever shit's going on, I get it, dude. I get it. I got to stay in this community. So, and it just happened to be that, like, you stepped into the, after all this has gone on, you kind of get involved in the Army and all this has gone on in my life. And I'm like, all right, I got to help. I got to help someone who's got the shit on the stick and help someone get in the community. And that's why Rob and I pulled stuff for you to help you get in which you already knew mills and minutes and how to shoot yeah from your time just studying on your own yeah you know, i shot which is cool. uh, two prs matches before i joined and i have a tika in 260 wasn't very good at it yeah <laughs> but you haven't but shot you, a prs match since then actually but i mean you've been deployed basically since you got in the army you've been to what korea poland yeah i've done uh two sets of overseas rotations now i'm glad, uh, I'm glad you call them rotations yeah peacetime nato <laughs> rotations um, like 48 months in the army, about 50 months close and, uh, closer to 20 months overseas. Nice. Yeah. I That's... wish it was Afghanistan, but. Hey, dude, you joined late. It's yeah, your I fault. Did. I did. <laughs> anyway, so, um, that's a cool story. Legitimately, that's like the coolest it's, story. It's kind of a funny story now that I look back on it. Yeah, it's, I'm like, Man, it's that, sweet. There's some piece of work NCOs around here. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like going to, what was it like going through sniper school for you? Uh, I was very... Because you, you said you took yeah. the picture. So yeah. I did I did take a picture of it um, out on Coffee Road, that sign out yep. there, the brown army sign. Um, and then I was very fortunate to go with someone from my unit. It was actually his second time, so he's a Bravo 8. So it was his <laughs> second time going through. Hey, look, no, yeah. no, man. You pass the school, you get a Bravo 4, not a Bravo 8. Yeah. I say that, <laughs> say that because I had to go to the school twice. Yep. And every, like, Rob called co- me Bravo 8. Yeah, Rob, little known facts, and here it is on paper Rob had to go through Jump Master course twice. So I don't yeah. want to hear it ever again from him. Yeah, I hear Jam's a doozy. But it yeah, is. It, yeah, school was good. Um, very stressful. There's, there's, 
one, sometimes two things a week that'll send you home. Talking about cyber school, right? Yeah, cyber yeah. School. Okay. Uh, and then I've got a lot of family in North Carolina, so just about every weekend I made that drive up to North Carolina. Just Maybe to, I shouldn't say that. That's outside the mile radius. It is but, outside the mile radius, guy. Um, <laughs> it's all right. It was it was good to get downtime with some relatives, uh, and then head back into work on Monday and start worrying about what was going to send me home that week. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the hardest part of school for you? The hardest part of school for me was stocks until I passed it. Why and is stocking so hard? It seems like, like, dude, just put a bunch of screens in front of you, create yeah. a small little toilet paper hole a couple hundred yards in front of you, shoot through it. Like I did really well with RE. I did really well with Which PD. is range estimation. Yeah, range estimation and target detection. I did good with both of those. Mm-hmm. And then stocks, all I, I was doing great with all the PEs. I was getting... Practical exercises. Uh, yeah, prone shots, which never happens. <laughs> uh, and then for the graded events, I was sucking. And I, I went G3 on stocks. But I will say this, when I went G3, I smoked it. Which is uh, like third uh, attempt? Yeah, third, third and final attempt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I smoked it and had some good intuition on it, some good help from a partner. Um, but I had a pretty good... Hide site setup, loopholes, screens. Technically, yeah. technically, it's a surf site, yes. dude. Come um, on, guy. Uh, but yeah, I was in and out in like forty minutes with my go. First That's one, legit. Yeah, okay. First one back to the ORP. Nice. Yeah. And what was the easiest part of school for you? The easiest part of school. Man, I don't think there is an easy part. <laughs> <laughs> what was all right? What I was the really part well you're like shoot in? What was the part yeah. you're like? All right, this that was that was wasn't as bad as I thought. Record Fire 1. Really? Yeah. Which, uh, now the curriculum's changed. It changes but all the time. for my Record Fire 1, it was on the M110, the SAS. Yeah, now that they was, do the 2010s on Record Fire yeah, 1. We, we cleaned it. <laughs> which, the, you know you know why they do the Record Fire? At least I think they do Record Fire in the 2010s. You know why? Uh, I've heard I've heard uh, two explanations on it, but hit me with what you got. The, the, the explanation that I was told by the first sausage at the time yeah. was that according to the MTEL, a sniper is the private, the lowest guy in the team, and he works the bolt gun. Yeah. The more experienced guy, the team leader, has the 110 to back up the sniper. Yeah. You know? So why is it you're engaging with the semi-automatic system and not the bolt action? That's why. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. That's, that's the rifle that you primarily use. Right. It's the 300. Yeah. The it increases hit probability. You have more kinetic energy than 308, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Right? All the ballistic performances of it you can engage longer distances up until the army recently updated their optics that optic the mark four yeah it's the a TMR mark four or not the, tmr the h59, h59. yeah it was yeah. better or is better yeah, it still is <laughs> excuse me so that's that's the explanation that i was told is yeah. according to mto let the young guys shoot because they're not going to get any experience anyway and they're going to be the longest ones in section and that's that's also like the the NCO core of the Army, thinking about it in a really smart way, is, okay, so I'm the, the team leader. I obviously have experience in section, and now I've got some scared private who did uh, tryouts, and he's probably been in the section for six months, and now we're overseas pulling triggers on targets. Um, so it forces him to get experience with a long gun, like brutally forces him to, and that's a great deciding factor for when he pulls a trigger on a person if that's for him or not. I mean, I suppose it's fair. Yeah. 
You know, that's it's one thing I saw a quote uh, earlier this week, and I don't know who. I, I, I'm sorry if this is your quote, but I forgot who it's from. Like, being a sniper is, is 10% shooting. Yeah. But when you do that 10%, you have to be 100% committed. When, when it, it is 10% of the job, but, but it's when it's that 10%, yeah. it is 100%. you got to bend that bullet, dude, <laughs> and you can't miss. And I, I think sniper setups, sniper platoons, sniper gun systems, I think, and this is maybe me looking from the buy side, are going to end up being the future of warfare. You can't roll around, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, and you and I have talked about it personally. You can't run around with platoon-sized elements anymore. You can't run around no, with armor. Armor, and, and because of my other job, uh, we work. I, I do the military sales side for a fastener company, essentially. And we try to get in all the big contracts to help support land vehicle systems. And I see the type of technology that's being updated. I mean, you can go on the SAM system and check it out. It's all public knowledge. But the system they're trying to keep up with it's going to be really, really difficult to stop everything. And in fact, I don't know if you know this, but in the first Gulf War, uh, Schwarzkopf launched a drone feint. He essentially launched a shit ton of drones to confuse the Iraqi air defenses. And they would engage all the drones, and while they were engaging the drones, we would hit them with actual aircraft. So you just overload the systems. It's going to be the same way. Drones are here to stay. And the first drone ever used in warfare ever was by Americans in World War II in the Pacific. They loaded TBM Avengers full of explosives in the bomb bays because they have a huge torpedo bay, and they loaded it with explosives. And they had a guy in another TBM Avenger, again, torpedo plane, with a remote control, and he remote controlled it from the cockpit, took that aircraft, and slammed it into Japanese positions, and it would detonate by just exploding. That's interesting. That was the first technical drone ever used and actually the Japanese thought we were doing kamikaze attacks and now look where we are with uh, technology yeah with, I mean World War One. they uh, used seismographic activity to triangulate and pinpoint artillery sections on the the British would use it yeah. to triangulate incoming artillery and attack the gun systems in World War One, and they use it the same way as seismograph was um, Dark Docs on YouTube yeah. put up a big thing about it. And it's actually really interesting because they also recorded the last minute of World War One before the ceasefire. No which kidding. is yeah, it's super cool. So I'm gonna set that as my alarm clock now. Dude, you <laughs> can you can actually YouTube um, World War One uh, battlefield sounds for soothing like study time. It's actually that's, it's that's cool. Nuts. <laughs> yeah. I, and I did it for a while, I was like, man, this is so trippy. It, it freaked me out for a long time, but then I got used to it because it was like, yeah, machine guns. That's cool. But anyway, so yeah. future of warfare, right? Um, what do you think about gear selection? How do you think that's evolving or coming up and um, et cetera? Because so the last it, podcast... great with the... Last podcast, we talked about the difference between like quick reaction type gear, like guys wearing cry play carriers with the stupid zippers on the sides. So you can zipper your molly panel on yeah. versus a recce guy or a sniper. You're not going to wear that because... You try to zipper your gear on with your ruck, you're going to be hurting after, you know, a couple hours. Yeah, definitely don't wear a back panel with a ruck on. Uh, you'll learn. Or don't put a camelback underneath your ruck frame. Yeah. Yeah. That too. Put it on top. Um, so those those back panels are great for DA hits. Where DA meaning? Yeah, direct action. Where okay. you have a, a very clear set uh, equipment and munitions load that you're bringing in. And if there's only like seven named individuals inside of a compound of three buildings, and you're going there with 36 people, uh, not every single person needs to carry 210 rounds. Like if you have a set 
28 minutes time on target. Not, not everybody needs to have 100 ounces of water, two frag grenades, three pistol mags, and then 210 rounds of 5.56, which is what Big Army wants. Um, we need to look at lessons learned from the GWAT with direct action elements. GWAT meaning the global war on terrorism. Yeah, global terrorism. war on terrorism. Yeah. Like when it was in its, its peak, which is long, but like 2005 up to probably 2012. Yeah, uh, it's, it was I'd really say 2012, swinging. yeah. Um, well, 2011, ROEs really changed. Yeah. Because remember, in 2011, you could no longer do hard knocks. You had to physically knock on the door and wait for the guy to come to the door. Do so call-outs. Yeah, yeah. call-outs, yeah. yeah. Put over the loudspeaker and say, hey, if you're in this village, you need to come out or I'll come kill you. Yeah, but uh, with, with gear selection for, like, recce and for snipers, um, one of my favorite books is Bush War Operator by A.J. Balam. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in the Cell Scouts and the Rhodesian Light Infantry. Which is now Zimbabwe. Yeah, anyway. Zimbabwe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they, he talks about, it's, a, it's different than any other war book I've ever read, how clear he makes the picture. And he talks about his equipment quite a bit because their recce carried mortars with them everywhere they went. And they would do long-range surveillance, mm-hmm. find targets, and then send a barrage of mortars at them and peel out. Um, but he talks about just the web gear, uh, wearing the only the mags he needed on his belt, and they carried like HKG threes and FALs. Which is all seven sixty by yeah. fifty one ammo. Yeah, yeah. So it's heavy. It's a heavier load. And uh, as soon as they would run dry, they would skedaddle. They would get out. Um, for some of the recce missions, uh, and he talks about this when he went through selection for the Cell of Scouts, uh, having to eat rotten monkey meat. Uh, and there's one particular mission where he's observing a village for three weeks and he's having to feed himself with frogs that he's catching. This is like, this is real stuff, you know? I gotta read this and, book, dude. That's yeah. crazy. And I guarantee you he wasn't carrying in 210 rounds of 5.56, humping through the bush. Uh, with recce, you've gotta look at your equipment, take exactly what you need. Because everything you end up not using is weight that is going to slow you down and make you suffer. And then when it comes time to actually go, you're going to be worse at your job. Um, and just like Mother Nature, you don't get to have that bad day. Uh, you don't get to have the snooze button on the alarm clock. Like if you're not 100% at your job when it counts, you're dead. You're somebody's el- somebody else's problem at that point. You're not even someone else's problem because you don't exist. Yeah. You're dead. And you're gone. <laughs> you're gone, dude. What, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. Hey, go wake him up in the the, the hut? Yeah. No, man, that guy's not coming back. You know? Yeah. And I've always wondered what that's like to be like, hey, you know, in World War II, World War One, even, yeah. in Korea, Vietnam, I sent a patrol, and the patrol never comes back. I never see those 10 dudes that I sent on patrol again. Like, they're just gone. I never yeah. see them again. I And I and this is where I, I begin to change my mindset a lot in life. Like, we got lucky in the GWAT era. We got lucky because everyone came yeah. home, you know? And to be like, I don't know what happened to those 10 There was dudes. never a point in time where we were losing, like, entire brigades a day. and divisions. Before 9 a.m. Like, 2005, 2006, there were some units doing a lot of direct action stuff that were taking, that took 50% casualties. And when you look at, like, a senior operator who has 20 years of experience and training inside of the military, you're losing a huge asset. Um, and that's that's when a lot of the the TTPs, the uh, tactics and procedures were changing inside mm-hmm. of the Army uh, on the DA side of it. Just from what I understand, 
you know, uh, living off of my peers. <laughs> I've never been fortunate to be in that organization. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so speaking of, of cool guy stuff, you wrote a, uh, an article recently. I did, yeah. I, I wrote about... Uh, Which I have to say, before you go into depth, Yeah. well written. Not not bad for an infantry dude. Yeah, right. Cab scout, <laughs> mechanic, heavy, a lot of times I was heavy equipment operator. I had to Google some words that made me sound smart and uh, look up what college was and count my fingers, but... Uh, <laughs> to look up what college was? Yeah, I graduated... <laughs> I graduated sniper school last October, and I, my grandfather has a, a friend of the gun store up in North Carolina that I stopped in one weekend, and I saw a rifle on the wall, and I was like, you know, that's interesting. And it was one of the short-barreled uh, Remington 700 bolt actions. What, what, uh, what's the gun store? You want to give it a plug? Uh, no, that's okay. No? Okay. Yeah, All right. You know. <laughs> uh, said, fuck that buddy's gun store. Yeah, it's in Mooresville. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Um, but, yeah, anyways... Uh, that, that gun ended up being uh, a graduation gift for me at school, which I'm very, very thankful for, and it got the gears turning. Um, and I started thinking about what can I do as a sniper with a short-barreled gun, like a short-barreled rifle. Uh, one of my first rifles was a Noveski Crusader, which is a 12.5-inch 5.56, and I remember shooting that thing at 550 yards with an aim point on it. I was like, this is crazy. Because everybody on the internet says you can't shoot this past 100. Um, and then I, I did some reading, and I noticed that the Russians had short-barreled sniper rifles in the 80s with the VSS Venturas, the VAL, uh, and they designed a round for it, the 9 by 39 but it was on the, you're talking about the VSS, right? Yeah, the VSS. It's essentially like a uh, 300 blackout, basically. Yeah, it's, like, it's a 300 blackout with a 9mm projectile. Um, but then it's got a Spitzer bullet design, so it's got the higher BC of a rifle bullet. BC you're, meaning ballistic, uh, ballistic coefficient. coefficient yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're not just shooting, you know, nine millimeter spear gold dots out of it. You're shooting a, a rifle, a thirty-five cal rifle bullet. Um, but they designed that as a clandestine sniper rifle and sniper support rifle. Uh, the overall length is like less than thirty-six inches. It's about the same size as an AK, and. If you look at the history, what was Russia doing in the 80s? And then you'll see, like, why did they feel the need for this for this rifle? Besides Afghanistan, obviously. And, yeah. Um, and it's because it's hard to... If you're in a familiar setting, not like a war zone, it's hard to sneak, like, a Mark 13 3 and one mag, full-size sniper rifle, 52 inches overall length, into a building without somebody saying, man, that's a big fucking gun. I'm going to call the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that the Army is doing more and more with fifth-generational warfare. Uh, we're, tr- we're in a transitional period between fourth-gen, which is uh, like fighting insurgency, and fifth-gen, which is when we're hunting named individuals. That are which all, all this stuff is obviously public knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. with, uh, we're hunting these named individuals who are, who are causing information dissidents and we're ceasing their life in an effort to maintain our country in the state that we know it. Um, so there's been a lot of low visibility, covert and clandestine operations being enacted by other government agencies, uh, and then different parts of special operations community. But the same issue is still there that now I'm in, you know, a nice suit, 
with a trombone case walking into an amphitheater and there's just no hiding this giant sniper rifle and if you're in that situation you're sending rounds at somebody that's 300 meters away you don't need a magnum cartridge coming out of a 26 inch barrel to put their lights out when you can choose a round like 300 blackout or even full power 308 from a shorter barrel and you're going to get that good kinetic energy displacement at that shorter range um, so I started doing a little bit more research with 308 because that's what we shoot uh, 118 LR which is a 175 grand Sierra match game and I found that with a 12 and a half inch barrel the time of flight between that gun and the M110 SAS which is a 20 inch barrel at 600 meters the short gun was 0.2 seconds slower time of flight and I was like that's that's insane it the gun is twice as long it's eight inches of barrel length but the entire gun the entire system is massive in comparison there's no way you're going to be able to get a sass into a hotel room not even just a hotel room you'd just, have to like what about what about moving in a vehicle Right, and that's a big yeah, thing too. Vehicle heights—that's mm-hmm. a real a huge thing. thing. We haven't talked about. We've talked about technicals, yeah, on here in the podcast, but we haven't talked about vehicle heights. And I really, I would really like to see someone put a vehicle hide record fire at a schoolhouse. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the information that I and the the background the anecdotal notes from this is, I'm not S two. I'm not even going to play them on TV, right? Uh, <laughs> But it's what I consider sensitive. Uh, I'm not trying to to talk about this on the internet and have the next DC sniper be like, hey, that, that guy on the podcast knew what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a little too late for some of this, bud. Yeah. I mean, I say you're too late and the world's already figured it out. You, yeah. You're not, you're not talking anything new, but what you're talking about is is the Army has yet to, to allow snipers to update into the jet next-gen warfare. Yeah. And so. that's why I brought you on is because... You're the only guy that I can find in the, in the community. It's like, hey, whoa, whoa, hey, we need to stay relevant as snipers. And, Absolutely. And everyone's like, hey, let's go make the 24-inch, you know, let's buy this new Mark 22 and make it three different calibers. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Great gun system, no doubt. Three different calibers, which from what I understand, tell, uh, tell me about what happened in sniper school that you think the Mark 22 is a good idea. Uh, well, 762 by 51 in the modern world, I think there's a lot better caliber considerations. What about, um, I mean, it replaces the 50. Yeah, it replaces the 50. Um, I like 50 as a caliber. I really like the McMillan bolt guns. Uh, Desert Tech has some nice guns. But the Barrett, I'm not a big fan of the Barrett. Uh, as soon as I use the Barrett in my line of work, I'll probably be a big fan of it. We talked about that before. Yeah, we talked um, about it before the podcast. But when I was shooting the 50, they put blast gauges on it on us and they were taking in TBI considerations, traumatic brain injuries. Yeah. Um, and that, that got the, the wheels going. So now I understand the ASR, the, the, which is the advanced sniper rifle, the Mark 22. Yep. Yep. Um, because if you look at stuff like a nine banger, uh, which is a, a flashbang that goes off nine times, um, they create overpressure and it's like 178 decibels. It's louder than an unsuppressed rifle. Uh, you can take about nine of those, nine to everybody's different nine to 15 of those in a room about the size of the one we're in right now like 15 feet by 15 feet before you start forgetting your name and forgetting your way home from work Uh, and these 
measurements are taken in PSI, but there's only so many 50 rounds that you can shoot throughout a day, technically, especially if you're in an urban hive, you're in a small yeah. room. Or in a building, um, just in general. Before you start drooling and before you have to go get screened for TBIs, uh, for anybody who has ever been a just Just from the overpressure. Yeah, just from the overpressure. Um, so that's why the 338 Norma exists, because you're getting that, you're getting a higher BC than a lot of the 50 that we shoot. Um, and but a lower, you, a lower concussion rate. Yeah, lower concussion, lower PSI at the shooter. Um, anybody who's ever been a Carl Gustav gunner, the 84 millimeter recoilless rifle. That, that thing's awesome. Yeah, they, you're only allowed to shoot like 12 rounds of HE a day because you start losing your mind. TBIs are, I'm, I'm sure you have friends that have TBIs. Yep. Yep. Um, Funny story about the 50 is I was number 10 in the line during the qual. Yeah. And I had all 20 guns, well, 19 guns, yeah. going off literally next to me. And I was center in line. I can tell you at the end of the day, I was a little dizzy. You'll never be in a worse spot to shoot the 50 than you are at school because <laughs> that's true. <laughs> there's a group of 40 dudes there. That are, it's like, hey, let's shoot, <laughs> let's shoot Barrett's right now all yeah. together. I can tell you that, and I agree with that, and I think that's the health of snipers is definitely so. I mean, you can't. You can't walk away from sniper school with a dang on concussion. Like, I can't shoot this gun anymore. Right. You know? Like, that's that's bad, so <laughs> obviously. I and I can tell you from that. personal experience, that shit hurt. Yeah, it does. It shakes your teeth loose. It does. <laughs> it does. We went and shot at a range that has a concrete pad on it. Mm. And we are shooting on a concrete pad, and you're just getting all that kickback up at you. Yep. But, yeah, I, I completely support the ASR. And the 338 Norma, the 300 Norma, and the 308. Um, my proposition with the white paper was to substitute or add an additional 308 barrel that's in that 12 to 14 inch length that, that's a real sweet spot for the caliber. Um, and that would give us a bolt action gun that's got a folding chassis on it uh, with a short barrel that we can get down into a very small configuration um, mm. and able to make it appear uh, more camouflaged inside of the environment. Um, a great thing I like to say to my soldiers is the game changes or the, the arena changes, but the game stays the same. So think about that whenever you're doing a stalk and you're gilling up and you're making sure that you're clear. You've got screens on your, your front, your back, your left and your right. You're stacking up trees on that target. Think about the situation you're in there. That applies in an urban setting. It's not just me playing hide-and-go-seek, uh, Chris Hathcock in the woods, I'm trying to be a sniper in every single environment that my country is going to send me to. Lethal in all situations. So that's going to be in a very populated, high-density urban setting at some point in your career if you stay in the Army. So when I, if you're a student that's listening to this, if you're a slug or a pig uh, or a slig, uh, halfway <laughs> in between... Think about that. Um, whenever you're in placing, you're, you're what? You're under observation. You should always assume you're being observed. Yeah. Even when you're not in placing. Yeah. <clears throat> if you're in a convoy, if you're walking up the side of a mountain, or if you're in the woods at cyber school, you're always under observation. And then, I mean, you as a shooter, too, inside of a section, absolutely under observation. Because um, let's just say I'm in charge of a section... I've got to be confident in every single soldier that I have that they're going to be able to fulfill their duty and not chicken out and pulling the trigger because of some moral compromise that they have whenever things get real. You talk about like guys quitting on infill, uh, 
like when the ramp drops on the bird and there's brown out and you walk out and all of a sudden it's real, um, you've got to be confident in all the guys that you work with. So you got to think about the reality with everything you do. So you talked, you talked a lot. We're going to have to do a second yeah. podcast because you got some cool stuff, man. Yeah. And you have some sweet stories. So if you, if you were to give advice to a brand new guy, it's just come in the army. Uh-huh. It just happens to stumble upon this podcast by accident. What would you say to him? Some good old dad advice. Yeah, yeah. Give me some grand thumb freaking dad advice. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, we I, ain't got time honestly, for dad advice. Just give us, give us the lowdown. The advice I would, I would lead off. It. I mean, it's what I just talked about. Always under observation. You don't have to be in a sniper section to understand uh, the consequences with that. I mean, a ninety-two golf, right? You just Which want is? a cook. You just mm-hmm. want to go through life in the army in inside and outside of the army the more you present yourself as a better character and better person every opportunity you get uh it's going to benefit you in your career in your personal life obviously with the ladies or the dudes <laughs> whatever you're into yeah, yeah new army whatever you're into <laughs> you know you bring a good point it's networking and that goes back yeah. to being able to work with your star majors and your battalion commanders yeah and being able to Tell them no and having them listen to you. Too. Yeah, say, hey, no, sir, that's not our mission set. Here's our mission set and here's how we do this. Yeah. You know, I remember EOD guys being like, we're not touching that. And companies being like, no, you're going to touch it. And EOD's like, no, we're not <laughs> nope. going to touch that. And and it wasn't even explosive-wise. They're like, nope, not doing that patrol, not our mission set. And you can take that category from it. And the biggest thing that I would say is you need to network, but you need to learn to network correctly. Not everyone is your yeah. friend and not everyone's willing to help you. And network, at the end of the day, it's your career. Do yeah. two things. One, what your career can afford. Yeah. And two, Well, three things. One, what your career can afford. Two, do what you want to do to make your career. If some sergeant says, hey, you're not going to sniper school, what do you want to do, be an assassin and bend bullets? You say, why? You can't do it? <laughs> like, like, if you want to go yeah. do that, don't stop. Go freaking do it. Because I remember when I got him up, a platoon sergeant said that to me, and I was like, well, why wouldn't I not want to be? Sniper school is the premier marksmanship school in the Army, and I'm in the infantry. I'm supposed to be a dude with a gun. I'm supposed to know how to use it better than anyone else. Why shouldn't I want to go to the most premier marksmanship school in the Army? Like it make, It's a no-brainer. And then three <clears throat> is do what you have to do to make sure your dudes come home. Yeah, you're, you're never going to have uh, better people in your life than your family and the soldiers you work with in the Army. Straight up, you're never gonna make a better friend than that. Some dude, you're gonna some, cuddle with them for warmth to survive at some point in your career, and mm-hmm. that's gonna be a family member from then on out. It's true, hundred yeah. percent. So, hey, dude, we're gonna do another podcast at some point before we go back. Uh, and obviously, I appreciate you carrying the torch because I can't do it anymore. So, I appreciate it, dude. Thanks, but, man. Uh, hey, guys, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, and as always, from the tall grass, one shot, one kill. Have a good night, guys.